0: I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, today to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2 is where we're going to be today. Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. Luke 2 and verse 1. And I pray that you would minister to every heart. Lord, I I know the message you want me to preach today. I have no doubt about that. But I don't know how it needs to be applied. Only you do. And so I would pray now that you would, during this time, that you might minister to us and speak to us, dear Father, as only you can. And and that you might uh, open your word to us and then open... Dear God, our hearts to your word that we might be receptive ground and that your word might take root and grow in the manner in which you would have it. Thank you for the joy and the privilege of being here today. And we'll give you praise for all of it. And ask you to bless all the activities of this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Carolyn Harris has written a book called Raising Royalty a thousand years of royal parenting it begins with the birth and upbringing of edward or edgar the peaceable and it comes all the way until the present day and concludes with william and kate the dutch and duchess of cambridge and even talks about the beginning signs of how they're rearing their children you read you read that book and begin to read the accounts of of royalty, and the things that their children, if I could say it this way, it would probably be more true, the things their children had to endure, because they were royalty, there were expectations placed upon them, they were in the public eye, no matter how they wanted out of the public eye, and in our day and age, they are chased by paparazzi, and, and hounded by people wanting a piece of the, royal family and even the entire you know, societal expectations of the British Empire upon their royals. So there is a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations of them. I, I think that if you read the book you will come to the conclusion that there is not much in it that would be considered simple from being surrounded by servants perpetually that made their beds. That found their socks wouldn't you like that parents wouldn't you like somebody to live with you simply to find the clothes of your children sure sure that would be nice they cook specialized meals for the specialized children and the specialized family that hold specialized positions in their kingdom and 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 literally they're taught how that they should carry themselves Excuse me, from the very moment they step in front of a camera. This is how you curtsy. This is how you curtsy. I read something in the news the other day, and it was a film clip showing how Kate offered the absolute perfect curtsy to Camilla. Now, may I? No, I won't say it. Anyhow, let's just move on. No, no, no. I, I'll do the Jed Clampett dance, but I will not. No. Not going to do that, not to that situation. But anyhow, um, so it's just, there's, there's just a lot of extravagance surrounding this type of a life. Could, could you think with me for a moment about the contrast between those lives and how different it was for the birth of Jesus Christ? In Bethlehem's manger and the humble home in Nazareth, Where he was raised in Joseph's house. There was not one single thing that would indicate royalty. His birth took place in a a grotto, a cave. Where animals had slept and and, and had lived. And I understand, we'll talk about it at another point. It, It was to every point possible a pristine place. It really was. And... The animals that were birthed to be sacrificed were kept in that cave in Migdal Eder. And we'll, we'll talk about that another time. If you want to find out about it, ask me and I'll tell you how you can learn. He, Jesus wasn't born in the inn because it was prophesied that he would not be born in an inn. He was born exactly at the exact spot, in the exact place that God intended him to be born. So, there's lessons in the innkeeper that we'll talk about, but, but don't get too hard on the innkeeper. I mean, there were, no cloud, there were no crowds there. I mean, nobody came to get a glimpse at the newborn king, the Messiah of Israel. No, nobody came to welcome him into this world of darkness. The only announcement that was made was made by the angel choir. And the only witnesses were... Uh, The animals that perhaps grazed nearby. The only press report came from the lowly shepherds. And yet, this was the greatest event in human history. The single greatest event in human history. And was it not clothed in beautiful simplicity? You just can't escape the simplicity of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now they're lessons. So today, today I want to get really, really tire pavement practical. Okay. This isn't just a bedtime story or a good news story of how that God entered flesh and was born amongst us. They're lessons, I think, that are practical for us and that we can apply to our life. So I'm going to talk with you today out of the scriptures about lessons from the Christmas story. I I want to find some practical points out of this biblical account of Christianity that will help us live our life in a manner that's more pleasing uh, to, to our Heavenly Father. First thing I want you to notice is this, and that is that God's not impressed with bigness. God, and I think that's a lesson that we need to hear. God's not impressed with bigness. Man is. The bigger the better. The bigger the more prominent the press report, the bigger the bigger the closer it gets to front page news. The bigger the bigger the more the more the crowd gathers, the bigger more men notice, okay? But in reality, God's not impressed with bigness whatsoever. In fact, the birth of Jesus Christ from the biblical account is filled with little things and little people in little places okay now there's an entire study of that an entire message on that that i brought in times past so i'm not going to spend a great deal of time here simply to remind us that there's not one single thing with the exception of Augustus Caesar that would appear to be big and prominent and and ornate in the eyes of man. And Augustus was nothing more than a faraway emperor sitting on a throne in Rome and, and thinking that he moved the world, where in reality he himself was being moved by God to move the world. Augustus thought he pulled the strings and moved the world, when in reality it was God pulling the strings and moving augustus so augustus augustus as i stand in bethlehem on our holy land trips one of the things i point out to the crowd that's there was that augustus was nothing more than the puppet king that's all he was he thought himself the august one he was he was simply he was simply a pawn in the hands of of a great and mighty God, let's not escape the one inescapable thing, that the greatest event in the history of the world, the virgin birth, took place in a stable, took place in a a place where, where animals were there, and that the Savior of the world himself was wrapped in the swaddling clothes that were used to wrap the sacrificial lambs that were not we're not far from being taken to Jerusalem and offered at the temple. Okay. So when he said, this shall be a sign unto you. Okay, what's the sign? There'll be a star. No star. Well, the angels will guide us. Angels not guiding you. So, so what's the sign? He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Because the swaddling cloth... Was used to wrap sacrificial lambs after they were born before they were taken away for sacrifice. So they knew that the Tower of the Flocks, the Amigdal eater, was the place. I'm going to write about it on Facebook uh, this week, so you can find it there. But 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 it, it was known as the place where the sacrificial lambs were born. Okay. So so here's God in human flesh. And, and he's he's brought to this little town of Bethlehem. We sing that song, "O little town of Bethlehem, still we see thee lie." We have, I think, sometimes sang it so many times that we don't really realize what a very accurate description it is of that town that remains iconic today as the place of his birth. Okay. This week, if you were to get on a plane and fly to Israel and and go into bethlehem you would be one amongst masses of people that make a pilgrimage there simply so that on the day that is set aside to recognize his birth you could be you could be one of the pilgrims that bow at the the the, the place where he was born and offer homage and worship to him okay that's I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a huge thing. But did you know this? As far as we know from the scripture, Jesus never went back to Bethlehem. There's not one single indication in the Bible that he went back to Bethlehem. He went everywhere else, but he, he didn't go back to Bethlehem. He never revisited the place of his birth. He never stood and said, this is it. (laughs) This is where it happened. This is where I entered the world, right here. It, 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 it's, it's, it's thoughtful, at least. His childhood home was located in Nazareth, a place that was little noted, so little noted, by the way, that it was, it was expressed, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? He was raised in the simple home of a carpenter. Think, think about that. We want to talk about God not being impressed with bigness. Okay, God, who are you going to choose to head up the home where your son will be raised? I want to get a general, a military man of, 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 of uh, absolute prominence that people respect, that they know when he says it, he means it. I want to get a politician that's a mover and shaker of the world. I, I want somebody that's known, whose name is a household word. no. Who are you gonna choose? Who are you gonna to choose to lead the family of your son during the early years of his life? I'm gonna pick a carpenter. You ever heard of Joseph? Who? Joseph. Who's Joseph? He's a carpenter. He's a guy that works with his hands. That, 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 that means a lot. It says a lot to me about the fact that God's not impressed with bigness. Okay, He's just not impressed with bigness. Now here's the point. Listen to me carefully. Here's the point. The point of this lesson that I think God gives us over and over and over throughout the book, little people, little places, okay, little things, all throughout this huge story of the birth of His Son is that He's not impressed with the big things that man is impressed with. Look at me. If you live your life, if you live your life somehow thinking that you need to impress God, you've got it all wrong. Because the things that we think might impress God don't. Okay? They don't. Look at me. You, you, you can't impress God. You can't impress God. You, you, God doesn't suddenly stop and take note and say, Dude, that what a message. Wow. Did you know that I've never preached a single message that impressed God? Not one. Did you know that you've never sang one single song that impressed God? That, that, that's not God's not impressed by the things we are. We've got our people that sing, and I love that. Let's say that we bring in Andre Bocelli. Okay, you don't like him. I do. All right. He's and I have been to two of his concerts. love Bocelli. Let's see, Bo- Bocelli came in. Do you know that what God would do? God wouldn't say, wow, his voice is impressive. His voice is professional. God don't care about that. You know what God cares about? One thing, the heart. How's your heart? It's not your voice. It's not how you hit every note. It's your heart. That's all that God cares about. And so God's, God's not looking at this story And trying to find something big. I want something big. When my son comes into the world, I want want there to be something notable. No, he's choosing things that are not notable. And so God's not impressed with the things that we're impressed about. He's not impressed with bigness. Listen to what Paul wrote the church at Philippi. I want you to listen to this statement. Talking about Jesus, Paul said, "...but made himself of no reputation." but took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of, of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know what the word humble means? Literally, to make low. God in human flesh came into this world and you know what he did? He made himself low. He didn't come, he didn't come He didn't come to rule a kingdom like the disciples wanted him to, to lead an army like everybody that gathered on Palm Sunday was in hope of. He he didn't come to be a military leader or a king. He came to become low. And so he bends the knee, takes a basin of water, a basin of water, and washes the grimy feet of his disciples. He willingly and willfully made himself low. We spend so much time and energy trying to promote ourselves and to move to the front of the pack and to soak in the applause of center stage. Jesus did the opposite. Jesus made himself low. God's never been impressed. Look at me, listen to me. This ought to soak into all of us. God's never impressed with bigness. He just, he never is. You can go to the bookstore and buy every book on making yourself impressive. And it makes God sick to his stomach. Because the Apostle Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. No, no, preacher, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Moriah is saying, There's a hero in you. Just look inside. Dude, hey, how you doing? There's a hero in there. Oh, you're not a hero. You know what's inside you? Look long enough, you'll get sick to your stomach. What's inside of you is a sinner. That's what lives in you. There's a sinner. And, and the reality, the reality of, of, of the matter is that, that um, we, we spend our life trying to mold and craft ourselves when we ought to be making ourselves low. Because he that humbles himself, what will God do? Exalt. You see. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go, go there, would you? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to show you a verse or two. Also, while you're turning, it's a great opportunity for me to sip water. So, it's a 2 full purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 27, watch this. But God hath chosen the, what's two words? Oh, wow. Ouch. You might want to write out beside that verse, ouch. You know what that means? You know why God wants to use you? Because you're foolish. You're not a genius. Well, Pastor, I make some blunders. Good. Well, I, you, know, you know what, I just, I'm not really confident. Great. That's who God's looking for, okay? So so God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And God hath chosen base things of the world and things that are despised hath God chosen. And things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Look, here's what we do, you know, here's what we do. I know of a church I know of a church in Fort Myers, Florida that told me that when their pastor resigned uh that they got uh like twelve hundred resumes. Can you imagine what what is that Well, it's a sheet of paper for me to convince you that I'm really good okay so so you, so we give God a resume and we line this up for god this is god this is why you should use me I got some reasons here i'm really I've done some things, I've learned some things, I've accomplished some things. And God says this, no, here's, here's, what I'm looking, here, here's what I'm looking for. Foolish, weak, you know, base, despised, things which are not. You know what that means? Things which are not, it means things that ain't. I wish you could see how you're staring at me this morning. It's, it's really frightful. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, I'm thinking, this is not Christmas, it's Halloween, and, and you're wearing your mask. So, so uh, anyhow, things that ain't. Okay, so let's, that wasn't good. So let's move on. All right. So here it is. The, the reality is, this, listen, I'm going to go to my next point, but listen to me, Kevin. God just doesn't need your bigness. He doesn't need my bigness. God never has said to me, Dean, how are we getting out of this? Dean, how... How are we going to get out of this? In fact, the only thing I can say is is exactly what was said in the scripture. I don't know. How are you going to feed 5,000? I don't. I I ain't got it. I don't know. I, I don't know. And then God moves in. So the only time God asks me a question is when God wants me to answer the question honestly and say, I can't. I don't know how. I don't know what we're going to do. Don't look at me. I can't do it. And then God does what only God can do. He doesn't need my bigness. He used a stuttering Moses to lead millions of people to freedom. He, he used a jackass to, uh, to rebuke a prophet. I'm reminded of that every time I get behind the pulpit. He, 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 he used a shepherd boy to slay a giant. He used a shoe salesman to shake two continents for Christ, Dwight Lyman Moody. God doesn't need my bigness. God needs my lowness. He needs me to get low. That's all God's looking for. Second thing I I learned from the Christmas story is this. We can shut him in, we can let him in or shut him out. Now, i got to move through this quickly, but let me just say this to you real quick. Look at me. Jesus did not come to be born in the inn. We know that he was to be born at Migdal Eder, where the sacrificial lambs were offered. You can read that in the book of, of, uh, in, in the book of Malachi. I think I'm right on that. You, it's, it's in the scripture, okay? Micah. It's in, the, it's in the scripture. So we know that prophetically, God already chose where he was going to be born. So then why this? why this insignificant clip that simply says this because there was no room for them in the inn. why well i'll tell you why so that somebody could be vilified in christmas plays. um we need a room we don't have a room get on out of him get out of him you know i mean that's that's how it's been portrayed down through the years it's not what happened the guy you know how he made a living he rented rooms So here's a couple that's willing to pay money for a room. He he wasn't abrasive. He wished he had a room to rent them. Okay, now maybe he could have rented his own. I understand all that. I mean, he made money renting rooms. So here's not a guy saying, I don't want to rent any rooms. No, he wanted to rent every room. And he did. He was successful. So why the story? It's a hindsight story so that you and I can look back and think it makes us think. Do I have room? Am I so successful that, that, that I don't have time? And by the way, success can draw you out. Success, success took all the rooms of his that were available, and success can take every opportunity you have in life to fellowship with the, with the, with the king. Maybe, maybe it's there to remind us that our life can become so crowded Maybe it's there to remind us that he was under the pressure of the demands of people. I bet Joseph and Mary weren't the only ones that came that he had to turn away. I bet he was tired of turning people away, don't you think? I bet he had rented up every possible space that he possibly could have had and borrowed some rooms, don't you think? This is a businessman. He's trying to make money. So he was under pressure. His life was to a certain extent being controlled by the demands of people. Look at me. And, and people will place such demands upon your life that you won't have room for the Savior. You won't have time for Him. You won't have an opportunity. Well, I, I don't really have time for God in time. Why? Who's that important? Who's that important? Well, I can't come to church. Really? Well, who's that important? I'm just saying it's it's a it's a hindsight it's a hindsight story. Revelation 320, behold I stand at the door knock. If any man hear my voice, listen and open the door. I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. So here's the picture. Now you got a choice. You can open the door or leave it shut. It's your choice. You want fellowship with him? Open it. You're too busy? You're too crowded? You're too successful? You're under too much demand by other people? Then leave the door shut. He's on the outside, you're on the inside. That's the whole picture of this. That's That's the only reason it could be given to us. It's an insignificant detail. Except for the lesson that it gives us from the scripture and so we have a choice third of all listen to this third of all sometimes life's biggest interruptions leads to life's greatest discoveries sometimes life's biggest interruptions lead to our greatest discoveries mary mary is contracted to joseph (laughs) Okay, contract sign. Okay. They're not married yet. The marriage hasn't been consummated. But she's contracted to him. They get married. They're making wedding plans. You, you ladies remember that. They're making wedding plans. Okay. They're choosing everything that goes on in the wedding. Okay. They're getting it all lined up. Everything's, everything's full speed ahead. Joseph is no doubt thinking about his business and how it's going to provide for them and the family that they hope to have. And all of a sudden, then comes an interruption. You know what happens? An angel comes to Mary and says, Hey, uh, Mary, guess what? Um, Guess what? You're favored. I I am? Yeah, you're going to have a baby. And Mary is thinking, And how shall this be? Seeing I don't know a man? You should know better, Angel. We're. we're <laughs> Joseph's not married yet. Okay. So all of a sudden, every plan she had wait a minute. No, no, no. She, she's not going down to City Square now and announcing this. She, she's not going to the synagogue and all of her family. No, no. Her plans have been interrupted. Now, now if, you, if you study your Bible, you'll find this out. Now it becomes a scandal. Word is spread. She's, she's showing. You know what that means? she got a child. Hmm. Carpenter boy's not so good of a guy. We thought she was, everything we thought about her, we we're wrong. She's she not who we thought she was. Now all of a sudden the plans have been disrupted and they can't have the wedding that they thought they were going to have. That's an interruption. But I'm telling you something, look, it was a scandalous interruption. It was an interruption that that would alter their life and alter the way that people even looked at her. It's it's an interruption. And and, and then there's another interruption. Okay, they get okay, so they're married. Now, let's let's get let's try to get beyond this and settle down. We we got a family to raise and and then there comes a decree from Caesar Augustus, and you know what they got to do? they got to take an arduous, tough, it's the worst time, it is the worst time for her to take this journey. But they got to make it. Can I tell you this? Listen to me. Sometimes your interruptions in life that God sends in your life, listen to me, they're going to lead you down a hard path, a hard journey, And you're going to wonder, in the name of a holy God, how do I get from Nazareth to Bethlehem in my life so that I can enjoy the blessings of God? How how do I survive this journey? That's an interruption. Suddenly I'm on a road that I I didn't plan, don't want to be on. But I want to tell you something. Boy, I don't have time, but... Did you know this? Can I just say this? Mary went into labor... And the women here understand that better than the rest of us do. She's, she's in labor. It's called travail. It's called childbirth. It's called pain. No, we get the No, no, it's, it's a simple story for us. All of a sudden there's a baby. No, 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 no. How long was her labor? I don't know. But it was in pain that she brought, the, brought forth a child. And if you think about all of that that goes on there, finally she holds in her arms the blessings that came as a result of the interruptions. The shepherds in the field, all they were doing was what shepherds do. You know what they were doing? They were watching the flocks. They weren't normal shepherds. They were watching the sacrificial lambs. That was their job. The next moment, they're trembling with fear because an angel's speaking to them, okay? They're thinking, what did I eat last night? I mean, how in the, what, what am I seeing? What did I eat? What, what's... And, and the angel says to them as they tremble, fear not, for behold, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I mean, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. It, it's, it, it, it's an interruption. And then, and then after that, After they talk to the angel and they hear this pronouncement of the greatest news the world's ever known, boom! All of a sudden the skies erupt with heaven's choir. (laughs) And, And the heavenly choir is singing, glory to God in the highest. Can you imagine that? They're just singing, they're just singing from the heavens. That's an interruption but every one of those interruptions listen without those interruptions there's no christmas story remember when jacob said all these things are against me and the very things he thought were against him was the path that led him back to his son joseph can i tell you this when an interruption comes in your life it's never because god's bored (laughs) and wants to watch you squirm when an interruption comes in your life It's because it's that that thing that leads you to the path of discovery. You'll learn more about yourself. You'll learn more about your God. And on the other side, some way, somehow, there'll be blessings. My Father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad I know He maketh no mistake. I'm just telling you, God... Listen, Paul said in Romans 8, verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Here's the deal. Suffering's glory. Suffering's glory. Suffering's glory. It's the suffering, the interruption, the thing that we don't want that leads us to the greater blessing. Number four, we're privileged to have a part in whatever he's doing. Now, I'm not going to spend much time here, just a few minutes, but let me just say this. As I was was reading the Christmas story, and I think I was talking with Susie, there's a lot of moving parts in this. I mean, there's just a, Chad, maybe it was you, I think we were talking, there's just a lot of moving parts in the Christmas story. A lot of different people coming and going, and, and even some people that aren't mentioned in the Scripture, there's just a lot of movement. Bethlehem was filled, teeming with people. They had no idea that that night, that day, the Savior of the world was going to be born. I mean, I mean, angels were dispatched to deliver the message. Let me ask you a question. Just think about this. Do you think that there was excitement in heaven because angels got to be a part of a choir? I mean, you, you think that it was said, okay, you guys, you're going to go sing to shepherds in a field. You think the angels were like, oh, we get to make the trip? You know, they weren't boarding a bus but they were coming down into our realm and singing the greatest song that has ever been sung that mortal ear has ever heard was sung that night by the choir. You think angels are emotionless? And they just said, oh, yes, I will do as you say. I think they were probably excited. I think think they had altos and basses, sopranos, you know? No? No? Okay, we'll move on. All right, so i just just throwing some thoughts out for you. All right, so the, 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 then there's the shepherds. They had no inkling when they woke up that morning that they were going to be a part of the Christmas story and that they would be in every play that was ever made. Every church everywhere this year had, had three little guys walking around in a bathrobe and a napkin tied around their head with a piece of rope and they were walking there, staring out. You know what they are? Papa, I'm a shepherd. Okay, I'm a shepherd. Now, some were promoted this year, or demoted. I think it was, some were demoted to Roman soldiers this year. Okay, and the other night, I said something to Jeffers, uh, to uh, John Quincy, and he did his Roman soldier. <laughs> I'm like, okay, wow, he's staying with him. And uh, anyhow, so, but, but, but can you imagine? That from that time all the way till this time, the shepherds have been remembered. The innkeeper, Caesar, Augustus, in faraway Rome. Don't forget the young family, Joseph and Mary. Don't, don't, you know, it's been a hard journey. Don't, don't allow, don't miss the message of the family in the Christmas because, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe. They found the family. So in Christmas, don't forget the family. Don't forget the family. It's a part of the Christmas story. And let me just say that it ought not shock us, but none of us are the main character in the play. He is. It's really not about you and me and how happy we are. It's really about Him. Now I close with this. The Christmas story should be music in our ears. Now I just I'd like you for just a second, and I'm gonna tie a knot quickly. Would you just stand with me in a field? Just stand there in a the field, just doing our job, swatching sheep. Nothing big. Hey, what do you do for a living? i I want sheep. I mean it was a, it was an important job then. I understand that. But don't, I mean, Nobody's looking to them for great leadership. They just watch sheep. They're still over there. When you go over there, there's still shepherds out in their fields, outside of Bethlehem, watching their sheep. So here's these three average guys doing an average job, standing in a field, watching sheep, which are everywhere in Israel. An angel visits them, and all of a sudden, the heavens erupt in song. Let me ask you a question. What do you think that did for them? I think their jaw dropped. I think they just stood stunned and amazed at what they were hearing. Not one voice off key. It was the most magnificent performance ever given in the history of the entire world. I doubt that the shepherds became grumpy and dour. Now, I want you to hear me. Just give me a second. Just please hear me. I know that this time of the year is tough for people. We we go around jingle belling it, you know. We're happy. We're excited. This is Christmas. But some people are struggling. It's not always all good. Some people are going through battles right now that can put a damper on what would normally be a joyous time of the year. Some people are looking at an empty chair and a void in their heart that no gift and no song will ever replace. I know that. So I want to take just a second and I want to, I want to address you and, and say this simply to encourage you. Listen to the song that the angels sang that day to three shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That teaches me three things. Number one, I have to look to the Lord. Because in all honesty, that's really what this should all be about. It's it's not what we've lost. It's who we have. And I I understand that it's very easy. I know it's very easy to lose ourselves in sorrow. And in what's missing from our life at a time like this. But in doing that, we actually take the attention away, if we're not careful, from the glory to God in the highest. So, so don't allow your emotions, and this is much easier said than done, to go here or here when they should go here. When our grandchildren passed away, God was no less God. Jesus was no less Jesus. His presence was no less real on Christmas than he was before. That was harder to focus on, but nonetheless true. And then he says peace on earth. And and that peace comes from Focusing on Him. And then then the last statement, I love it. Goodwill toward men. So can I just say this to you? Listen to me. This is just real practical. Look at God. Find peace in Him. Listen carefully. Goodwill toward men. What does that mean? Find somebody. Find somebody else that's hurting. Find somebody that needs an arm around their shoulder. Find, Find somebody that needs a seat at the table. Find somebody that is struggling and extend goodwill toward them. Don't don't let Christmas be all about you. Let Christmas be, it'll help you and it'll help heal you if you'll just lose yourself in helping somebody else who may feel the very same pain you do. Let's bow our heads. Nobody can fill your void but God in the highest. I pray that God will help us look at Him this year. All of us. Every one of us. God doesn't need your bigness. God's, God's not God's not waiting on you to take up the show and move forward without him we we the reality of the matter is that is that we need his god's we can shut him out or let him in maybe you're struggling with an interruption and you say i i I didn't ask for this i didn't want this your choice leave the door shut he's knocking answer open invite god's a gentleman he doesn't kick his way in He came to give peace on earth. I pray you'll let that peace be yours. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your love for us. I pray you'll bless and work and use us. Help us, I pray, to look at the practical points of Christmas and the story of of the birth of our Savior might impact the very way we live our life. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.